Well, last week, um, I presented to you a message titled Fear Not. And in that message, we talked about how fear seems to be at an all-time high right now with everything that's going on in the world and also in our nation. And I shared how God doesn't want us to live in fear, but instead he wants us to live with complete and total trust in him. And we talked about how in life you can live with a a faith-based mindset or a fear-based mindset. A faith-based mindset is when you can bring yourself to the point of, of realizing that you can trust God in everything. You trust that God's goodness and his power is sufficient for you in your life, and you begin to live life with a sense of relaxed confidence in him. But there's also a fear-based mindset, and that's when you say, I'm all on my own, so I must be very careful. I must be very cautious. If, if, if not, something really bad is going to happen to me, and I might not be able to handle it. Well, I shared with you uh, five very real side effects that, that come from living with that mindset of fear. It will eat away at your sense of self-worth. It, it will, you will experience stagnation instead of growth. It will cost you your joy. It will lead you eventually to a mountain of regret, and it's contagious. And you can pass that fear down to, your, to the next generation. One of the greatest statements in all of literature about fear was written by John, the Apostle John, it's regarding our, the relationship between faith, or excuse me, between love and fear. It's in 1 John 4.18, and he writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. In other words, to be made perfect in love is to know life beyond fear, because perfect love does cast out all fear. You see, God knows that fear can hold us all back from being fully obedient to his calling upon our life, and therefore God wants us to begin to live beyond our fears. He wants us to live, as I said last week, an adventuresome life with him. God wants us to know that though there may be fear present, it is his desire for us as his followers to not be negatively affected by those fears and to take on the mindset that that he is in control of all things. And ultimately, there isn't anything we cannot accomplish through Christ, as that scripture says, who gives us strength. And I trust and pray that many of you are aggressively approaching your fears head on. And, and you are looking it straight into the eye, whatever that fear is, and saying, I am no longer going to be bound by you anymore. So last week, I pleaded with you to fear not. Well, today, I decided to continue in that vein and talk to you about another kind of fear that runs a thread throughout the scriptures, and it is the fear of the Lord. But unlike the fear that we discussed last week, the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's, a, it's essential that we, the created, have a wholesome, a reverent, a respectful fear of our creator. I don't know if you remember back in the Old Testament when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and they were at Mount Sinai, and God was present at that mountain. The mountain was dark. Thunder was was rumbling, lightning was flashing, and there was a very loud trumpet blast, and the people were afraid of God. 
So they said to Moses, uh, Moses, you go up there, talk to God, we'll wait here, and then you come back and tell us what he said. So Moses says to the people in Exodus 20, 20, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. It's kind of a confusing statement in light of what we discussed last week. If you think about it, Moses says, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you. But I'm here to tell you today that, that the fear of the Lord is good. And the fear of the Lord is an essential kind of fear for us to walk in. Because one thing that is obvious in our world today is the growing number of people who not only refuse to believe in a sovereign and a righteous and a holy God, but they also absolutely have no fear of him either. Why? I'll tell you why, because there has been a methodical step-by-step process that has dismantled the fear of the Lord in our society. And it, it accelerated when we took God out of our educational system and allowed Darwin in. Evolution started to be taught and, and, and now it is accepted as the true way that creation unfolded. So I want you to follow me down this slippery slope, if you will. Whenever you remove the reality and necessity of a creator, you remove design from the creation. And when you remove original design from creation, you remove its purpose because purpose empowers hope. And without it, we become a hopeless people. And whenever you dismantle our purpose, you also do away with responsibility and accountability. And when you take away accountability for our choices, you have essentially dismantled the fear of the Lord. So without that proper kind of fear that keeps us on track, people blindly follow Satan down the path of destruction, right down the old drain. But in addition to that, there is another equally big a problem, and that is people don't uh, understand that our spirit, we all have a spirit, and that spirit is eternal. And so many people believe that all there is to this life is the time that we are granted here on this earth while we're sucking air. And therefore, they are going to live, they are going to do, they are going to pursue, they are going to dominate and conquer at any cost and without any boundaries of what is right or wrong. And sadly, they believe they will answer to no one for their actions, for the way that they, they live their lives. They will simply die and it's game over and they'll have a dirt nap for eternity. But how utterly ridiculous that mankind created in God's own image and given the power to rule over every other creature on earth can actually approach life without the fear of the creator. You know, often when I see people on the news or when I see celebrities who publicly and with great passion take positions contrary to the word of God and even go as far as to mock God and his righteousness or take on this attitude of, of superiority as, to as if to indicate that God is no longer a factor in this world in our day, I'm reminded of that scripture in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And when I read that, I, I get this visual. And it's actually a very sad visual of these people who refuse to acknowledge God's existence with absolutely no fear. But on that day of judgment, as all accounts are being settled, they will all, they will all bow on their knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I can't help but think of the, of the gut-wrenching fear that will fill their hearts that day when they realize that they have made the wrong choice. As they reflect back on their life and the times that they mock God and the times that they mock God's followers, when they believed that they were more important than anyone else, when they touted their own desires and passions ahead of the laws and ordinances found in God's word, when they had opportunities to receive Jesus Christ into their lives and yet they chose the path of personal exaltation above everything else, when they lacked the basic fear of God of the universe, I can only imagine the kind of fear and trembling that will be present on that great day. You see, a reverent fear of the Lord brings home the reality that there is a loving creator out there who is all powerful, who is all just, and who is all holy. And because of that, many in this room today made a conscious decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We have now been saved by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, and we no longer fear the coming of the end of the age. In fact, we can now look to it with great confidence and anticipation, praise God. Now, if you ever found yourself asking, why should I fear the Lord? Well, I wanna help you this morning by showing you some reasons why, but I wanna uh, to look at the fear of God in a more broad scope, more than just fearing God because of an impending judgment day, and I don't wanna to have to deal with that, because we, we all know that that day is going to come. Because there, there are many additional reasons why we are designed to fear the Lord, and each one is very important to the kind of life that we ultimately live. And the scripture offers many of them to us. Just look in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord is the foundation for a correct perspective on life, and it is essential to successful Christian living. And this fear I'm talking about is really wrapped up in one single word, and that word is awe. It's where we get the word awesome from. It, it's an emotion of respect that is mixed with fear and wonder and reverence. It's a submissive and admiring kind of a fear that is inspired by the authority of Almighty God. It is a fearful reverence inspired by God's deity. Psalm 211 says, worship the Lord and serve him with reverence and awe-inspiring fear and submissive wonder. Psalm 33.8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 
Psalm 119, 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word, God's word. So there is this awe that must be directed towards God Almighty, and it is a combination of fear and submission and wonder and reverence, uh, desire and love. But this word awe, we sometimes have a difficulty in grasping it because of our culture, we, because we, we, we loosely use this word awesome so much to describe so many things, it's lost its significance. We say to each other, oh, you're awesome. Or we finish a well-cooked meal and we say, that was awesome. Or, or we go to a sporting event and we say, the end of that game was just totally awesome, dude. <laughs> I don't talk that way, but people do. <laughs> now, all of those things may be great, but they're not awesome. We got to quit using that word. That word goes to, solely to God. None of them fills you with awe. None of those things I talked about that none of them fill you with great reverence. None of those things fill you with wonder. And so as we look towards this awesome God that we serve, I wanna to present to you this morning four attributes or characteristics of our Lord. These are four awesome characteristics that produce a healthy fear of the Lord within each one of us. And here's number one. We fear God because of his greatness. I'm sorry, there's nothing on my screen up here, and I, I didn't even know if the slides were going, so I, I just thought I'd finally take a look and see. Thank you for the slides. <laughs> Exodus 14:31. It says, And Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. One of the greatest miracles that God performed in the Old Testament was when he delivered the Jews from slavery in Egypt particularly when he opened the Red Sea and they simply walked across on what was once wet ground, dry ground to the other shore while the Egyptians were in hot pursuit of them. And as they reached the other side, the waters closed in on many of Pharaoh's army and his horses and his chariots. And when they had seen what God had done, the result was that they feared the Lord. First, they naturally feared the sight of Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit. That would put fear in anybody. I mean, that, but that's the wrong kind of fear. But later on, they stood in awe of what God had done for them. You see, fearing the Lord and trusting the Lord go hand in hand. And notice in the scripture I just read, it says they feared the Lord and believed the Lord. You see, fear to, to fear God is to trust God. And one of the reasons we fear God is because of his greatness, ladies and gentlemen. First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Chronicles 16.25 says, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. Psalm 48.1, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in his holy mountain. Psalm 145.3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. There is no other God like our God. There is no other power that compares to him. His greatness is on display for all of us to see from generation to generation. And that produces a kind of fear that we must all possess. 
Fear that is produced through observing and experiencing God's greatness. And as, I, as we look back on our lives, we can't help but to be reminded of his greatness and how it was on display so many different times. I look back on my past life and the, the, the pathetic condition, living in a, in a dark and shameful existence, ready for me to bottom out, having no hope for any kind of a bright future. And I cried out to a mighty and a holy and a just and a loving God and I asked him to change my life. I begged him to deliver me from the bondage of sin that I was trapped in knowing that there was no way I could get out of that on my own. And I watched his greatness on display when he took my feet and he placed them on solid ground and he transformed my life and he gave me a new purpose for living. He made a new creation out of a life that was going nowhere but to hell. And today I give him and him alone all praise and all glory for what he has done in me and I stand in awe of his greatness. I was just like the children of Israel. I, I first feared the sinful bondage that I knew I couldn't break free from, but then later I feared the Lord because of his awesome greatness on display in my life. And that's a good fear. And that's the kind of fear that we cannot live without. And so remember, we fear the Lord first for his greatness. Number two. We fear God because of his holiness. Isaiah 6, one through three. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When you think about God's holiness, it's difficult not to be overwhelmed by it. In this scripture, we even see the seraphim, a type of angel who cry out and they speak of God's holiness because the Lord is pure. The Lord is sinless. The Lord is light. There is absolutely no darkness to be found in him at all. The, the, the Lord is holy in justice. He is holy in mercy and he is holy in grace. And we, when we measure ourselves in the light of God, you can't help but stand in awe of his holiness. And that holiness creates a wonderful, awestruck fear within us. Because holiness doesn't belong to anything or anyone other than God. Holiness is exclusively God's. No one else can truly possess it. And probably the, the most proper response in all the scriptures regarding the great holiness of God is plainly stated in the verse, verses that followed what I just read to you. Isaiah 6, 4 through 8 says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then one of the seraphim, one of those angels, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, it humbled him and it caused him to fear. You see, the closer you are to God's holiness, quite frankly, the filthier it can make you feel. That's just a reality, folks, because we are not holy like God. No matter how hard we try to be holy, no matter how, how hard we strive to live a sinless life, we will fail. And that's when God's abundant grace comes into play and, 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 and it's so significant to our lives, amen? amen? And I'm sure that you can all relate with what I'm about to say. As I look back on my Christian journey, it seems that just when I thought I was on track and I was really moving forward or when I had conquered something, a weakness in my life, or when God gave me the power to overcome a shortcoming or an attitude or something that, that I've been dealing with, it seems like when I finally have victory over something is when all of a sudden my flesh steps up and reminds me how far I have yet to go. When I do or say something that's totally boneheaded, when I take on an attitude that isn't at all glorifying to God, I'm reminded of his holiness and, that, and how that there are none who are truly holy, including the pastor who stands before you today. But I'm reminded of these words from Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips in God's sight. But then I am further reminded of how the seraphim took the hot coal from the fire, from the altar, and placed it upon his lips and said, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. You see, we only become holy when we become God's. Anything or anyone who is set aside for his purposes becomes holy. They become the holiness of God. And, the only holy, and only a holy God can do this for, a, for an unholy world that is filled with unholy people. And so therefore, I fear him because of his holiness. And it is that same holiness that drives me to want to be more like Christ Jesus, to be more Christ-like. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Always remember, it is his holiness that calls us unto holiness. And although uh, complete and total holiness will never be attained in any of us this side of eternity, we are still motivated to become more like him as we stand in awe of his presence. Number three, we fear God because of his wisdom. Psalm 139, 14 said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. When you look at God's creation, you cannot help but stand in awe of his wisdom. Just look at the human body and all of its intricate details. The way our bodies function could only be designed by a God of great wisdom. 
And you may think mankind has gotten really good at creating things like cures and computers and aircraft and so on, but everything, understand, that man creates requires a whole lot of research and development. R&D means that there's a whole lot of trial and error going on, but not with God. When God creates something, he creates it perfect. Look at our bodies. Look at your heart. We have the average life expectancy of about 78 years, and yet our heart requires no lubrication or maintenance. Weighing in at about 10.5 ounces, it has the capacity to pump 2,000 gallons of blood through our bodies every single day of our life. Think about a part on your car that can do that for your lifetime. Our valves operate between 4,000 and 5,000 times per hour. Look at your hands. Look at what they can accomplish. Look at your feet. See how they are designed to get you around. Look at your blood, this life-giving source that flows through you, and your eyes, which really are probably the most intricately designed thing in your entire body. Your eyes are simply amazing. And then we have the human brain which consists of about 10 million nerve cells, and each one of those puts out somewhere in the region of between 10,000 to 100,000 connecting fibers that make contact with other cells within your brain. But then when you look at the beauty of God's creation, this earth, it's it's literally mind-blowing. When you look at all of the different creations or creatures that, that inhabit this earth, and, and, and how each one of them plays an integral balance in nature, it's literally amazing. I love watching those shows about wildlife and these animals and what they do and how they support the, the, the system and the, you know, the ecosystem. One eats another and they all survive. It's, just, it's a fascinating thing how God put this world together. Just think about God's wisdom. Just think about God's power and all of you think you could have thought that up? No, none of us could. It's unfathomable. I was just reading the other day and learned that in North America alone, there's no less than 700 varieties of butterflies and 8,000 varieties of moths. Why do we need that many butterflies and moths? I don't know, but God does. And he did it for a reason. Charles Spurgeon writes, if the numbers of the creatures be so exceedingly great, excuse me, how great, How immense must be the power and wisdom of him who formed them all. See, God doesn't require any R&D. He doesn't require any research and development. He, He doesn't rely on trial and error. He gets it right the first time. And again, if I can reflect on my own life at times when I think I've got it all figured out, At times when I think I'm so close to God that I know how he's going to respond. When my prayers have been sent heavenward and I deposit them there. Well, my human nature, my human instincts start to take over and I start to envision ways that God is going to answer. And the truth is God has never answered a prayer in the way that I ever envisioned once. Never once. And I, I, I'm sure as you look at his wisdom, on display in your own life. You can see how powerful it was. You know those times when the words from that old country song, thank God for unanswered prayers, now rings true in your heart? How many stupid prayers have you ever prayed? Yeah. We we don't know what's good for us. 
we're, we're immature in our faith and our understanding. And so sometimes we ask God for some of the most foolish things. They don't seem foolish to us at the moment. It's something that we think is very important. It's something that we think we need. And God said, no, no if I give you that, it'd ruin you. Thank God for unanswered prayers, huh? God never answers the way we think we should. If God answered and answered every prayer that you ever asked, I shudder to think of where you would be today. He had his hand upon you all along. Remember that. Those, those, those bad turns you didn't take were because of God. They weren't because of your human understanding. They were because God gave you the common sense to make the right decision. God's ways are so much higher than ours, church. His wisdom is perfect. When we think of a solution, God has 500 ones that, that are better than anything that we could ever dream or think of. I can't tell you how many times I have been humbled by his great wisdom when in my own intellect, I tried to put God in some kind of a box due to my limited human understanding. And every time I come to the inevitable realization that my wisdom is infantile compared to his. And guess what? So is yours. It's God's wisdom that keeps this world spinning on its axis until he decides that he's going to pull the plug on it all. And so therefore, I stand in awe of his infinite wisdom and I trust in him in all things. Number four and final, we fear God because of his unfailing love. Psalms 130 verses three and four says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We experience God's love in so many different ways, but his greatest expression of love comes through forgiveness. The forgiveness of our sin. And according to that scripture, his loving forgiveness also creates the fear of the Lord in us. Why? Because there is no other love like his. You cannot find God's love anywhere else. There is no one thing, no one person, no entity that has the capacity to love you like God does. It's a kind of love that we can't even wrap our minds around. 1 John 4, 8 tells us, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Of course, John three sixteen, we all know this one, for God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This kind of love is particularly difficult for those of us who are parents to grasp because anyone who has ever had a child understands the difficulty in this. Who would be willing to allow their son or their daughter to suffer an excruciating death on a cross to save a bunch of unworthy, uncaring people? God's desire to have a relationship with you and I, his creation, is so consuming that he is willing to offer up that which is most precious to him, and he offers it up for us. But in order for that relationship between God and man to happen, a price had to be paid for our sin, because the Bible makes clear the wages of sin is death. So by offering Jesus to die on the cross, that sin debt, was paid in full. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 makes clear this. It says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. 
and cause him to suffer. That's Jesus. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus turned aside the wrath of God. He could have allowed sinful man to pay for his own sins, but he sent Jesus to do it instead. He, he, he gave, and he now gives man a choice as to whether we are going to follow and fear him or not. And so as we look back on our past lives and the, and the many things that we were involved in, and no matter how deep in sin we have sank, Jesus has always been patiently waiting. And there's some of you in this building today, he's still waiting. You're on the fringe. You're kind of saying, I'm about there, but I'm really not sure that, that Jesus is what I need in my life. But he is patiently waiting for you. He loved us when we were unlovable. And man, are we unlovable sometimes. He loved us when we rejected him. He loved us when we were going through our, our darkest times in our darkest hours. He loved us when we were stuck in our deepest level of sin. He loved us when nobody else would and even those times when nobody else could because we were so stinking unlovable. And that is not a normal kind of love, ladies and gentlemen. It's just not. It's a supernatural love that exceeds any kind of love that we have known or any kind of love that we could ever muster up in our own human emotions. It is his tremendous love that is what causes me to fear the Lord because it is so complete and yet it is so hard for our minds to grasp that kind of love. So let me tell you, this is the kind of God that I want to serve. And as I look at his tremendous grace and his holiness and, and, and his wisdom and his love, I am reminded why it is that I fear the Lord. Because the awesome greatness of God automatically produces a normal and healthy fear within us. But it's not the kind of fear, as I said, that we discussed last week. It's not a debilitating kind of fear. It is a liberating kind of fear. When anyone experiences the majesty of our Lord, they are naturally humbled. So, as we talk about this, this, this subject called fear, you cannot do it justice without identifying the kind of fear that transcends all others. Because this fear, the fear of the Lord, it helps us to put everything well into perspective. We come to the realization that we serve the creator of the universe that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when we understand that, that he made everything in this world and everyone who is living in it, then what should we ever truly fear? I believe the answer is simple. We fear the one who has the power to set us free. We fear the one who will one day judge us. We fear the one who paid the price for our sin. We fear the one who holds our lives into his hands. But we fear him out of awe. We fear him out of wonder. 
We fear him out of reverence. We fear him out of joy. And we fear him out of love. So if you ever found yourself asking, why should I fear God? Let me allow the scripture to answer that question quite clearly. In Psalm 147, 11, it says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. I choose to fear him, ladies and gentlemen, because it is my desire that he will delight in me. How about you? But in order for that to happen, we must all make some decisions. We can either be people of his delight or we can be people of his wrath. It's our choice. We can either inherit his blessings or cursing. We can either experience his provision or inflict upon ourselves all sorts of troubles. We can either have God as our friend or we can choose to be his enemy. It's a decision that every one of us must make. And I've come to realize this is something that you learn by experience and not by definition. It's an experience that we all need to diligently pursue. And that experience begins when you realize you were created in the image and the likeness of God, that you were conceived in love, that you were created in excellence, that you were designed for accomplishment. You were engineered for success. You were endowed with seeds of greatness. You were created with a purpose to be ministers of reconciliation in this deeply broken world in which we live. You were created to be a representative of our heavenly father right here on earth as well as being the continuation of Christ's ministry. Your hands are to be his hands. Your feet are to be his feet. Your hands are, are, are to be there so people can feel and experience his touch. Your voice is to, to, to be his voice so that people can hear his loving words. Your eyes are to be his eyes to reflect the love of the Father to other people. If you truly have the fear of the Lord present in your life, you will know it and your life will reflect it. So as you fear the Lord because of his greatness, because of his holiness, because of his wisdom, and because of his love, the question should naturally be, is that being exhibited in my daily life? Is it being represented in the way that it should in my daily actions? Does it show in the way that I treat others? that I was created in God's image? Is it evident in your level of serving in God's kingdom work? Do you fear him enough to be involved in ministry that directs other people towards the cross of Jesus Christ? Does it show in what you are willing to give to God's kingdom here on this earth so ministry can go forth? See, all of those are ways that we show to a lost and dying world that the fear of the Lord is real and present within us. It's when it becomes more than simply words, but it becomes a lifestyle. Your life and how you live it will show the fear of the Lord does in fact actually exist in our world today. 
And I just pray that you let it be what gets you up in the morning. And you let it be, uh, as you look at your day of goodness, it's what gets you up, but it's also what puts you to sleep at night. Trusting in his goodness, trusting and believing in him and his unfailing love for you. Let's live in the security of knowing experientially the greatness of the Lord in our life. Scott, will you come forward, you and the team, and help me to close this down? Before I close this service, I just need to say something, and that is that the fear of the Lord always begins with true repentance. And if you're here today and you have not received salvation, if you've never given Jesus lordship over your life, you can do so this morning. And I want to give anyone here today who is not in a personal relationship with Jesus the opportunity to do so today. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So you simply pray a prayer that, where you tell Jesus that you believe he is the Son of God, that he is the only way to God the Father. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him, invite him to be the Lord of your life. And the Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's just that simple. But then you follow it up, not just with that prayer, you follow it up and you become a disciple of his. You follow it up by developing a true fear for the Lord in your life and the way that you live it and the things that you do and the actions that you take. All of those things go to develop a child of God. And it's a journey and we're all on the journey and we're all in different places. Some are deeper into it than others, but you're welcome to walk that journey along with us. All of us flawed people in this building, including this man, you're welcome to walk this journey with us. That's our desire. That's what this church is for, so that you will find Christ and that you will live a life worthy of the sacrifice that he made for you. As I was thinking about how to end this service today, the song, How Great Is Our God, came into our mind, and I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet. I've asked the worship team to come and to lead us in this song. And if while we're singing, you desire to receive salvation, you can come down to this altar if you want, or you can just pray those simple words that I shared with you just moments ago from your heart while we're singing as we sing about God's great splendor. If you have any other kind of a need this morning, cry out to Jesus while we are singing in this song about his greatness. Or if you just want to sing to his greatness, I encourage you to sing it with all your heart. Show the Lord that there is a true fear of the Lord in your heart and a love for him this morning. The splendor of the King Oh, the majesty And all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light Darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. 
make the fear of the Lord a part of our daily life. It's a good fear. It's not a bad fear. I explained to you the reasons we fear him. It's not because he's going to zap us. I was talking to a man the other day and he said, oh, if I came through your church doors, God would strike me dead with lightning. I said, do you really think that's God's heart? We started down this whole long conversation. God loves you. He doesn't want to punish you. He wants to have a relationship with you. How can you not love that kind of love? How can you not serve that kind of a creator? Let us, let's, let's just work hard at serving the Lord and showing his great love in our lives towards those who we, who we come into contact with every day. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that 
You so desire to have a relationship with us that you would do anything for that to happen. And yet, God, we have this thing called free will. And sometimes we just simply stand in the way. Rather than submitting to your authority and your will and allowing you lordship over our life, we just keep moving ahead, convinced that our way is the right way and coming up against the same dead ends time and time again. So, Father, I pray that you would free our minds to begin to look at our relationship with you as total freedom because that's what it is. It's the ability for us to live a life greater than we ever could on our own and through our own devices, but empowered by your love and your spirit. God, there is so much that we can accomplish that brings great joy to us every single day. So I pray for my church family, Lord. Pray that you would bless them as they seek you, that you would reveal yourself to them in new ways every single day. And that that journey towards heaven for each one of them grows closer because they come to know you more and you use them more and they trust you more and fear is no longer present in their life because they know if they have God on their side, who else do they have to fear? So I pray that that would be our, our call, Father, our clarion call, that we're going to trust you in all things and we will not fear the things that we see or the things that we cannot see because you are in control. So Lord, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would build people up and not tear people down, that we would shine brightly in a very dark world, that brightness and that shining, of course, is your love flowing through us, so much so that people would come to us and say, what is different about you? What is it? And we say, well, it's the love of God. And then God, you open that door for us to share with them your goodness. As always, I pray for an opportunity, a God-ordained moment where someone will cross all of our paths this week and we will have the opportunity to share your goodness with them and that we will walk boldly towards that moment and trust in you just like we trust in you for everything. And Father, I pray between now and the time we gather together again, that you would keep us safe from sickness, disease, and illness. You would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us until we come together again and worship you as a family in spirit and in truth. I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today.